0: Thank you for joining us today at miniature wargaming labs today i have returning guest Wyndham graves back on how are you doing today pretty good man how's it going doing all right and so the purpose of this episode we're going to talk about Historicon 2023 because we actually ran into each other out there so i i took off after work outside baltimore and decided you know what it's thursday Historicons cons going on right now which i had no idea until you sent me like a message saying are you going so you know what i'll go i'll i'll bring a stack of cash i'll go to the vendor hall and i'll meet and buy uh, too much stuff and i show up there and say gosh the vendor hall is empty that's really weird and then i ran into you and you explained that it was closed <laughs> Yeah, that was an
1: interesting thing that the vendor hall did close a little earlier than I think most people expected.
0: So I'll, I'll leave my uh, first two impressions here. Historicon, I've never been to it before. Much bigger. Than, if you go off their website, like the way they design their website and the info they put on the website, you really feel it's going to be in the basement of an American Legion hall. When you show up there, it is a massive enterprise. Um Second thing about the website, you'd think they'd post the schedule and hours. So they give you information about what's going on there if you wanted to come.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting thing. I agree that they um, they could use a little bit more outward-facing communication. Um, but when you get there, they give you this nice fat book that has all of that stuff in it. But yeah,
0: ahead of time would be a little nice. Yeah, well, so from what you showed me, closed posted, what, like six? Think so, and by the time I got off work, left Baltimore, drove the two hours. It was <laughs> six thirty. So I wasn't coming back after that one because that book shows me you wrote it down in an electronic <laughs> file that could have been put someplace, yeah, that, that actually would pass. be nice
1: to have that um, to have them post that book as a PDF because you know it had to go to the printer's way ahead of time. and um, <laughs> Uh, like, I actually ended up handing off my physical book um, to uh, dad and his kids that just didn't know what was going on. So I was like, here, take this, because I already had all my stuff written down on another piece of paper. Um, so, yeah, I don't have a physical copy, and it would just be nice to have an electronic copy to refer back to.
0: Yeah. So one of the reasons, uh, why don't you tell everyone, why did you go to Historicon? Say I was planning on going just for the vendor hall to buy and then <laughs> leave quickly. What was your so, goal? Yeah, so I was going to kind of just see the lay of the
1: land. And um, for those of you that, that heard the, the podcast that I was on before, I do 3D modeling for 20th century historical stuff, uh, mainly vehicles, buildings, little bits of mechanical ephemera, things like that. Um, if you Google search my name and Thingiverse or Wargaming 3D or Patreon, you'll find me. Uh, So I was going kind of to just get my name out there and hand out some free stuff and see what was going on with Historicon to see if it would be worth getting a booth, which after going, I definitely do think it would be worth uh, getting a booth. So if anybody wants to split one with me next year, just let me know. Um, But yeah, it was just absolutely madness. Like I had never been to a big con and I think that I was talking to the organizers, um, I think on the Saturday and they said that they thought there was somewhere between 2300 and 2500 people there and that's gigantic i mean that is a big event like there was no point in time at which i could see everything i wanted to see
0: well you know it's not gen con or adepticon no it's more on the level uh i don't know if nova opens bigger now but it's all historical that's yeah it's like a subset of the genre
1: yeah, I would say that there was probably five to ten percent ahistorical, whether it be um, uh, like alt history stuff or whether it be just truly like there were just a few games of folks playing for playing 40k. And I don't know if that was just because this was the place that they could all get together and throw a game together on a weekend. But um yeah, so there there was some not historical stuff, but I would say the vast majority was historical.
0: So um How did it go when you actually ran around and saw some of the uh, people you're trying to grip and grin make contact with? It was really good. Handed out a
1: bunch of stuff. Uh, If you're one of the people I saw, I hope you enjoyed the little doodads I gave out. It's nice to be able to just print out a bunch of stuff, put it in baggies, and just hand it out for free when the cost of production is relatively low for printing. Um, But no, it was a lot of fun. I got to meet up with some people. I got to meet up with some patrons, which was nice. I got to meet, I think, three people that... I've talked to online, you know, hand, handful or a few dozen times, and got to see them in person, and that's always cool. Got to see you in person, which is really <laughs> neat. Uh, for you know, I live in Alabama, and you live out west, and so meeting in what Lancaster,
0: Pennsylvania is kind of yeah. a lot. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what did? Um, so since you deal in like battlefield, not the figures, but your specialty is like the buildings the ephemera, like you said, what did you think about the presentation of the tables? Because I've heard that discussion before, like, the point of these events is to put on the spectacle.
1: Yeah, and that's something that, like, I am now more excited about the hobby because of the quality of stuff I saw at this event. And on that same note, if you are planning on bringing a game to an event like this, you better bring your A game. It was amazing. Like, it was so good where there were a few tables where you're where you could kind of tell that that person wasn't really super heavy into the hobby side of it. And like, I, I just don't even know. It's like, if you go to a, if you go to an event with a bunch of supercars and somebody brings their Honda, like that might be a nice looking Honda in the, in the, in the grocery store part in the grocery store parking lot, but here it just looks super out of place. And I think <laughs> That's that a, that happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's just like, the quality and, and the way I explain it to non-gaming people is I, I, like explaining why I went to this event and what it looked like is that it's like going to the museum and seeing those dioramas and then getting to play board games with all the pieces of those dioramas. Like that is the quality of, of thing that we're seeing there. And that it was so inspiring. So very cool.
0: So. Since it's all historical, did it influence like some of the stuff you were gonna make going forward? Because if you think yeah. about it, if you're if you're trying to put together a show table, and it's like really the little details. I, I think for me, the best one I saw was like one of the war games illustrated. They showed like a Polish group put together a Stalingrad board, down to the point of where they had rebar sticking out of like the concrete and like little bricks scattered about? Did it affect like what you plan on designing going forward?
1: Yeah, I think so. Mainly, um, I was really impressed by multi-material making, if that makes sense. Like, like, Like people who were doing things where there was some laser cut components and then there was obvious like flocking and organic pieces and little bits of handmade stuff and then some of that like teddy bear fur grass and just all of this stuff kind of mesh together in a way where unless you were looking for it, you didn't know how any of it was made. And that was I think the thing that really kind of got me thinking and that I do some of my stuff when I do like a building that has um, like an area of the ground around it. uh, I'll just leave it completely smooth so then you can just, you know, glue and flock or do whatever you want to make it match your board. But I think that really leaning into that and actually like approaching it as I'm just making parts of what will be a final object even for like a vehicle i've kind of thought about this before but like i'm just making the base vehicle if you want to add you know a little loop of rope that the person you know hung over the spare tire if you want to add some extra fuel cans that's kind of your hobby thing that's not really my thing to put into the original model because then all of them are identical right like Mm. i really think that that was the thing that i kind of need to even lean more into. And I don't know if that's actually making the models different or maybe doing some videos about how I do my hobbying um, and and kind of show people how I take a model from even what I print as a 3D modeler. I don't do it all. I do it by hand because that's fun to do by hand. And so I think that, may, that maybe doing some ancillary stuff of showing people how I take a model from my 3D print to my finished tabletop model might be an interesting
0: add on and kind of help people get in that mood you know that's that's something i had thought about because uh we actually got into a discussion about um computer animation since you're a 3d modeler Mm -hmm. and that seems what the world is being split between on 3d modeling into either creating physical products or creating digital media out there but Mm -hmm. in the physical product that last 5% is kind of like an animation of where you got your roughs in there, but you haven't turned on the hair physics or the water reflection physics. So people, it's that last 5% that actually turns it into the magic. Well, it
1: turns it, not only does it turn it into the magic, but it makes it yours. Like on my table, most of my 28 millimeter terrain that I just use for pretty much whatever game, is kind of all based around this kind of like brown, muddy, wet, uh, kind of slightly overgrown feeling. So when I finish out a, a piece, when I paint it up, it has all that stuff in it. But you may have something completely different, right? If you have a desert terrain set up, your last 5% is going to look a whole lot different than my last 5% is going to look. And that's totally cool, right? Like you're, like if we use the animation example, like your water physics might be cell shaded um, like anime style, my water physics might be, you know, real life ones or as, as realistic as possible. And
0: it's entirely just kind of what we want to do with it. I think that's really cool. Yeah, so, that, so the idea for you is trying to explain to a user, all right, here is the print object. You're going to print it off like we talked about in the last podcast. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm going to finish it for North Africa or yep. I'm going to finish it for Normandy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then being able to educate people is like, even though this is the thing I'm looking at in Thingiverse, this is what it could be.
1: Yeah. Think... And there's even like bigger examples of that of like I do a bunch of um, interwar cars, so cars that are between World War One and World War II, because they just are so stylish. And the thing is, those also make great cars for like Cyberpunk or um like Lovecraftian stuff, because that's the right time period for that. But really, you can just modify them a little bit and, and use them as other things. And I think that that sort of, um, I think when people look for 3D models, they look for the exact thing that they want, print it, and then have the thing. And even if it's not exact, they just kind of accept it that that's what they got. But I, I would really like people to start looking at it as more of a... Um, this is just a starting point, right? If I want to change the wheels on it, if I want to change the top, if I want to cut it up and I want to add things to it, go, do it. Like, it's still yours. It's the same as building a kit. We would have no compunctions about changing a kit, but for some reason, 3D printed stuff, if they can't find it digitally exactly the way they want, they just print it and accept it. It's like, no, stop doing that.
0: M- make it, make it <laughs> yours. Make it cool. <laughs> oh, so my I've seen since my wife is part of, like, the Prusa community, I've seen them take their stuff and do what's called remixing it. So there are those who are comfortable using ZBrush and such products and comfortable remixing it. Do you think the hobbyists haven't... The average war gamer is just looking for, like, the Star Trek replicator? Like, if the file's not in there, then it must not exist.
1: I don't know if it's that or if it's some hangover from buying miniatures right Mm, like you you buy a miniature that is a character and generally use it as that character and only a small percentage of the community like really shift out of that um and i think it might be that or it might be that the materials of 3d printing are a little harder to hand edit right like the resin if you if you 3d print in resin it's pretty nasty stuff and so carving it is actually harder than carving like a GW plastic, for example.
0: Yes, um, yes, it is. Yeah. Especially and like, take power tools to it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it does not like it's not like that. Super dangerous. And uh, like you do not want that stuff on your skin or in your breath, like in, in your lungs. Um, and then the PLA has the other issue of when you cut into it, it's hollow inside right so yeah. there's the there's this whole like different set of uh, hobby constraints that we kind of have to like you know either bite the bullet or you know figure it out, like cut up some things, just realize that some things are gonna get thrown away um, and that's totally fine. Uh, we do it all the time with other stuff, and I think that one of the nice things about 3 d printing is if you screw it up, you can just hit print again <laughs>
0: yeah. So well, while you were there, since you were inspired, did you take any of the um, learning classes, like the hobbyist classes? There? Yeah, they
1: had a they had a hobby. Oh, I can't think of the name of it right now, and I'm gonna feel bad. But they have a hobby uh, like class set, and the hobby class set was really interesting. Unfortunately, a lot of them were um, were capped out. They had a like ticketing system, which was really nice. You didn't have to worry about waiting in lines or anything. You just got the ticket ahead of time. And then that was your seat at the table, which was really great. Um, so you could kind of schedule everything really nicely. But uh, yeah, it was wild. I took this class on making trash at 28-millimeter scale. And it was taught by um, Joseph McGuire, the guy who wrote uh, Reality's Edge. And he wrote This Is Not this a Test, t- yeah. which is the the post-apocalyptic one. Uh, Reality's Edge is cyberpunk. Um, okay. And so it was just really weird, like sitting across the table with like six other people being taught how to make trash by this guy. That I'm like, I know you write rules. I know that you're like not a small name in this community. Like, what's going on right now? But no, it was it was super awesome. It was great to talk to him. Uh, it was a ton of fun, and I have some really cool little scale trash bags made out of full size trash bags because apparently that's the <laughs> way it works. Yeah, uh,
0: you know what? I've three D printed little trash bags. So you actually showed me the ones you made, yeah. and it was. Um... <laughs> How do you make little trash bags out of big ones?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's essentially a big trash bag, and you wrap it around one of those little glass beads that has a flat side, and then you put a tie around around it and super glue the tie, and then you cut the top flat, and it's perfect. You don't have to paint it, you don't have to do anything.
0: It's absolutely crazy. (laughs) Man, I wasted some PLA on on that. (laughs) Oh, man, me too. Definitely, uh, me too. So, now I know I've talked to, when I was talking to Gaddis uh, last <laughs> week, you know, he was at Historic Con. So we talked a little bit about that off production, but the idea that you'll see games at Historic Con that you won't see anywhere else. So these are like homebrew games just for the convention on that. What do yeah, you think? Yeah, that was... That was super cool. Well, one, there's
1: there's a lot of stuff where it's just like some homebrew version of an existing rule set, and it's really nice to see it because you can see how people like think things should be modified, but also how comfortable people are modifying it. Like, I don't know about you, but like where I am, my local game store plays 40k, and that's pretty much it. And so, like the idea of taking a rule set and just like we're gonna throw out half the rules and put new rules in there, it's just would be mind boggling for, for, for like the local crew. And so it's just really nice to like go and see people who are like, no, no, this is what I want. This is the exact situation that I want. I'm writing a play, right? Like this is theater and I'm writing a play and this is what I want to happen. And so we're going to write the rules for this to happen. And it's just so cool to see that one of the games I got to participate in was, um, uh, was a rule set called pylon dusters, uh, by a guy named, Greg Harding, um, just wrote them like he doesn't even publish them anywhere. Uh, and, uh, it was the 1932 Thompson trophy air race. I just looked it up. And, um, so it's like this really specific thing that this guy's just really, really into. So he wrote a set of miniatures racing rules to do this one thing where like, you have to not blow up your engine and you have to not pass out in the, turns right because you're in an airplane that can do like nine g's um and so you have to not pass out and not blow up your engine and finish the race and this guy just wrote all these rules from scratch and it was a really fun game like it wasn't bad like it was obviously somebody's homebrew rule, rule set but it was an enjoyable time for five people for like two hours um and one thing that I was, I was talking to him a little bit about it and he was like oh yeah there's just my rules i played it a few times with some friends i was like you haven't put these online anywhere he's like no i was thinking about selling them like here or there but i just like i don't want to spend the money on like the art and the design and everything like that to get the rule set out there and i was like that's totally fine but you should just publish the text for free like like it, it, unless you're planning on selling it to like osprey like just Put it on the internet so other people can play it, can play with it because somebody might like it enough to do all that other part of it and then republish
0: it or help you publish it. But and, that's not the purpose um, of board games vault. I mean, how many games are in there? Like one dollar.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just just do it like that. Just like but I, I think that there's a problem in that there's the the people complain about like the graying of the hobby, right? Where where like the um where the hobby gets progressively older. I don't think that's actually the case. I think that the 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 bell curves always kind of been the same, but the problem is is right now that bell curve is high in people who aren't terminally online people. Uh, and so they don't have that knowledge that, hey, they you can just put it out there, right? Like you don't actually need a traditional publisher. You can just throw it on the internet and that's fine um you can put it up for a buck or for free and other people will play it and
0: give you ideas and you'll make edits and all that that, that's a good point because i've heard that comment plenty of times about the graying of the hobby especially in historical uh community about especially in the napoleonics okay it's (laughs) like only 50 year olds play this game it's like yeah when you started playing in your like teens or 20s you were the oddball not mm-hmm. the norm. You're the deviation from the standard mean. So you do bring up the point there's going to be a gap between the guys who are comfortable uploading stuff to Working's Vault or like using stuff online before they enter the age of when they'd be primed for playing like Napoleonics or Bolt. Because what is it? It's 40 years, 40s. In your 40s, you start World War II. In your 50s and 60s, you start Napoleonic. So like the older you get, the more back in time you start traveling. <laughs> Um, so, but they're we're in that gap right now. The people playing Napoleonics now aren't like it's not in the reality to like upload like
1: well, like so, so I am thirty six, I think, yeah, i'm thirty six. And um like I'm probably some of the older crew that has been online pretty much as long as I can remember. and So that means that I'm just aging into the World War II stuff, which is true. Like, I started World War II gaming at all about three years ago. Uh, Before that, it was, you know, 40K and Fantasy and Gaslands. And um, uh, so I think that that is, one, completely true. And two, I think we're just on the cusp of the uphill, right? We're just on the cusp of all those people starting to age into uh being comfortable with all the new digital newfangled publishing methods and being very into those kinds of games
0: good yeah well you know what i finally clicked off one other thing every podcast talks about the graying of the hobby now i got yep, that out of the way there we go, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> now i can say i've fallen for that um mm-hmm. So
1: it's you know, not graying. It's just that the people that you're friends with are graying. So it looks like the
0: hobby is graying. I, you, you know, there there's always that uh, temporal distort that happens of like, why is everyone else getting older? You know, yep. you're not in a bubble. <laughs> yeah. But we kind of
1: are right like you you make your and that, that, that's a really important point is that like you make your group of game friends generally in a geographic area like as until you move you don't make a new group of game friends um, like usually it takes a geographic you know upset to have to make new friends in gaming and then then your your age limit you know goes up and down but generally you kind of have this group of people that you play with all, all all the time so you see it as the graying of the hobby but really it's just your friend group is you know going up with you <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and you know everyone appreciates that you're not hanging around like game stores trying to recruit like teens hey yeah. want to hang out with us no because that one would goes <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: You gotta think Go it's all like not only do you want to play games with these people, you also want to invite them over to your house for like eight hours.
0: You know, you know, uh when I lived in Maryland, there's like a group that played Battletech before like the renaissance of Battletech, and like, Oh, we really don't post on Facebook because we all get together in my basement. Dude, yeah. I'm not coming yeah. over to your house <laughs> and <not> in your <laughs> basement. <laughs> it's not happening. Yeah.
1: And that is a that is I mean that and that's still where like the local game store kind of has a really important you know role of being that place where people get to meet up in a public, you know,
0: not creepy space. Well, so let's talk about the friend aspect. So we actually met up in the board game area. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually I had met up with uh, John Chang from uh, Echelon Software. He was in the vendor hall. So we actually walked around. The vendor hall and then he left and then uh, you came down to the board game area and we met up there Um, Mm -hmm. so the not the official vendor hall the unofficial vendor hall what did they call that basement um yeah it was like i think it's called brigand Buy is the concept um but it's
1: like in the it was like it wasn't in a basement it was in like the lower level of this hotel and it was just like an absolute like flea market madness sort of thing. Um, it was not supposed to be commercial vendors. I think some people abuse that line a little bit. but uh, Oh, yeah. When you uh, see uh,
0: three guys all wearing the same polo shirt standing at four tables with uh, new <laughs> and shrink wrap things workshop stuff, it's like, I think you might be a store. Yeah, well, it, I think it's one of the I,
1: uh, I, I'm trying to remember from like what I was reading about it. And it was like it was supposed to be like. It was supposed to be like a flea market, right? Like you bring your overflow stuff that you're not going to play with anymore and sell it. Um, and I think that some people just kind of abuse it a little bit. I don't think that other people minded all that much uh, because they got you know there's still stuff, empty tables.
0: But, yeah, there's there's still empty tables, so it's not like they were pushing yeah, sure. someone out.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and honestly, like I'm if I go next year, I'm going to get a vendor table because the vendor tables were not expensive according when I was talking to the guys who are running it. Um, and it would just be nice to have a place to like drop my stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, I would definitely, definitely do a vendor table next year. Even, even just have like a TV going, just saying like, Hey, this is what I do. This is, this is where to find my stuff. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was just like, yeah, between those two places was really crazy. And then down with the, um, down with the area where they were doing the the flea market, like the front half of that, which was always open, the back half, which was the flea market, you know, would they let people in, open it, let everything sell out, close it and do it again. And they think they did that three or four times over the weekend. And um, But the front part of the lower area was this guy who just has this ludicrous uh, board game library. Like just traditional board games. There, I mean, there, there was, you know, he had all of like the war game and historical stuff collection kind of set to the side because he knew that that was, you know, the, the event. Um, but uh, let me see, let me look up his name real quick. Um, it was uh, Anthony DeWall, and I think he calls it the board game library, is like his thing. And apparently, the dude has a race car trailer that he uses because it's easy to like roll racks of board games in and out of the trailer. And so he just brings it to these events so people can play. And it's just
0: absolutely wild. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, so, but that, so there's this mingling area there. And I've seen that at Nova Open too, where like I think pretty much every convention now has. The board game library where you can check out board games. If you're not into the scheduled events, yeah, um, that
1: was that was something that I was talking to the guy who was running it, um, and he set it up where like there were individual events for games that were ticketed, just like all like the big serious games. Um, but I almost wanted, and I was talking about it, and I almost wanted him to have just like a singles night every night uh because like i was there essentially by myself like i was there to meet a few people but like i didn't have like a crew like a lot of people go there with you know five or six friends from their game group um and they go and they do this event so they have people to like go get lunch or dinner with and things like that but people like me who just i'm gonna go by myself and just go meet people there you have to make friends in the moment and that's really kind of difficult at an event of that size and an event where when you go and play like the real games like the the, the big setup presentation theater games that we were talking about um those are serious right like they're, they're not serious in a way like you can't giggle and laugh and do all that stuff but they're they're on topic you can't just in the corner right um And so having like this board game area was really nice because it was much easier to make friends. It was much less serious or much less on topic. Uh, But yeah, like it it would almost have been nice to have like a space where you could just say, hey, I need people to play this game. You know, I, I have this little flag on my table that says, come play games with me. Right. And then you could make those kind of ancillary friends without having the stress of doing it like i am a very outgoing person i will totally just walk up to somebody and be like you're gonna be my friend now let's go to dinner um but for for people who might have issues with that sort of interaction um that would be really difficult like i did fine because the first day i was there uh, i was leaving the uh the event center and this guy pulls up in his car and he's like hey is this where people unload i was like "Ah, i don't know i think so um, and then I walked about a hundred feet further and I turned around, and I was like, Hey, do you need help carrying that stuff in? And he's like, yeah, that'd be great. So that guy and I just like became friends for the weekend. And uh, it was, a uh, Carl, he was showing, um, a game called down, down sync, Downlink. It's down sync. Let me check before I get it wrong. Like, yeah, it's down sync. Uh, so he was showing off a game called down sync and, uh, but yeah, so he became my friend that I went out and had dinner with. Uh, But that's only because I make people be my friends.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that brings up... So this is a social gathering. How do you make friends without bringing them? It's kind of like your vacation friends. It's normally by the last day you can normally do that. But on the first day... you like. Yeah, and that's that's why I think
1: that that things like that board game library, if they had a little bit more... um, I don't know just some 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 systems in place right we're all gamers we like systems um like a system in place to meet folks i think that that would be a really great way to do it like literally just do it as a singles night it's not like you can just be friends singles that's okay um and i think that something like that would be really really helpful for you know especially on the first few nights of 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 finding people to. and sometimes you just want somebody to like Decompress with at the end, like I just played this crazy game. It was like this, and it did this, and that did that. What game did you play? Oh, it was like this, and it did that. Because there's no way you're going to see every game, so it's nice to to have conversations with people who participated in something different.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you. I was looking at the schedule, and I think um, the real one of the reasons in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, is it's near the Yingling Brewery, which is near the <laughs> Army War College. If you ever go to a War College event, it's always ingling kegs. Um, <laughs> but I haven't been to the War College in years. But so Historicon is actually part, like they do joint stuff with the War College. Did you go to any of those events? Yeah, they they had a. Um, it was funny. I think they online a- it made it was seemed like it was a huge part because that was like one of the few things that was actually like digitally uploaded on there.
1: So as a, as somebody who's like been in, has in the past been in academia for a long time, that was like, I was like, oh, the talks, that's the most important thing. I shall register for those first and those will set the schedule for the rest of the weekend. So I sign up for all of these things because I'm like, this looks cool. This looks cool. I want to go see that. I want to go see that. Um, And then I go to them and it's like maybe 20 people in the audience. And it's like this is these are some of like the best talks I've seen on the, these topics. And there's like twenty people here. Like the most attended one I saw was um, M10s versus Panthers in Normandy, which is as cool as it sounds. Um, and it was by a guy uh, Steve Waddell and John Stapleton, who I, I believe are both historians at the War College. Um, and so it was these two historians of the War College just giving a talk on a Saturday. And even then, there was, like, maybe 30 people in the room. And it's, like, that is something I think that a lot of people, like, really slept on in exchange for, like, going and playing games, which is fine. Like, going and playing games is cool. Uh, But, yeah, there was some wild, like, interesting talks that, uh, yeah, were not not as
0: well as attended as I would have uh, expected. So, now, now that's something that wasn't clear to me. Did you go to the war college? Or did the... um the war come college to comes to the you. event apparently okay. um yeah it it's uh
1: it's i think it's just i think people can just sign up for it because there were some people that i know were not directly involved with the war college like the actual military war college um uh to, who gave talks so i think it's just their reuse of a name maybe uh, okay. or just a very close link um but i know that some of the, some of the speakers were not
0: so they're there to put the actual historical and historic on. I,
1: You know what? I think it's just
0: people that are very used to get it, giving talks. Like, <laughs> it's just what they do. Well, you know what? They're probably out there, wow, 30 people showed up on a Saturday. This is amazing. So apparently
1: that, that M10 versus Panthers one was the best attended one of those they've ever had. Somebody said that Well, while we were leaving, and I was like, that is disturbing and depressing like people should definitely come to these and or they should be recorded for later one or the other i mean that, that's literally what youtube is there for yeah, like, yeah you only have to do this once right yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it was it was really cool though especially because you could ask these guys questions like you could ask guys that like i've read your book about this topic and i would like to ask you questions about this and now i get to do that and that's super cool okay
0: um I... I'm actually kind of surprised that it didn't come to fisticuffs in there. But some people get really passionate about that, start crying. The Panther was the best.
1: Well, I, I actually, I can tell you the thing that almost came to fisticuffs was that um, there were two Civil War talks on either side of this one, and one of them ran long, and for some reason, the um, the guy who was like running it didn't let the M10s versus Panthers one run long an equivalent amount, and everybody kind of got upset. <laughs> yeah it was a it was
0: there was almost a fight <laughs> okay. all right so you know we've been talking about uh the vendor hall and so mm-hmm. i'll say um i did go into it even though it's after hours because i found if you wear uh business attire so long white sleeve shirt <laughs> red tie and you walk in there you know looking disdainful and confused slightly more more like you're amused walking through these weirdos no one stops you I, I don't know if they thought I was hotel staff or whatever but it is quite a, a vendor hall and uh the guard oh, yeah. seems to be a nice guy he seemed to enjoy his book as i walked by him <laughs> <laughs> but what did you think Cause, i mean literally that's why i went there i yeah, failed so like
1: it's I think one thing that's really interesting with this hobby is like there's such a wild variation in the quality of presentation and marketing and uh, i'm gonna try to explain that a little bit like there are some booths that very much feel like trade show booths where everything is bright high contrast everything matches everybody's shirts match everybody's you know in slacks Um, They have, you know, you know, lanyards that all match and, you know, everything's priced very clearly. And there's a place that you obviously, you know, hand over money and things like that. And then there's like some guy with like those comic book boxes full of like random ancient history books with no signage or anything at all. And it's just a dude sitting there reading a book and both of those things did completely fine and were both just as interesting and i just think it's really interesting that this is a hobby where like both of those things can coexist literally next door to each other and it's not even like it's not even something to notice unless you look back on it and say wait that was strange
0: well that that's what i was trying to imagine um well i saw it but it's Half that main hall, you walk through on the main level, is the vendor side, and you can definitely see there's a difference between like, uh, what did I see? Uh, Monster Fight Club. I walked by their booth. Yeah, they had which the big is display shelves. stunningly attractive. Yeah, and then there's other tables. It's just like a folding table with, you know, it's after hours, so like everyone threw blankets over their stuff to protect it from people like me, but. Uh, <laughs> just like table blanket and you're right they're just boxes on there so that is but for you what do you see the value like if you got a booth there what would you see the value of having a booth at historic on
1: so my big thing was i was just kind of meandering around like handing out stuff like if people were playing games that were in a time period that i do models for i was essentially just like here's a handful of stuff give it out as prizes enjoy um and kind of did that. Talked to a few people. Met with some folks. Met met with some uh, people in the vendor hall actually that do like print-on-demand stuff. Because uh, I don't actually print anything. I just do the models. Um, so yeah, I got to meet a bunch of cool people. The the big thing that I would like the 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 booth for is really just to have a like dedicated totem pole of just like this is what I'm doing. This is who I am. If you have a game that needs prizes, find me or message me at this address mm-hmm. so I can, you know, take care of you because it's relatively cheap for me to be able to help with prize support. Um, and that was one thing I kind of noticed is that uh, a lot of the big, even some of the big like tournament games, the prize support was okay. It wasn't great. Um, some of them were really good, but but some of them weren't. And like I would love to be able to. You know, kind of be able to help out with that in the moment because there's no way I can contact like everybody who's running a game ahead of time and be like, here, have some stuff. Um, and also, it would just be cool to be like to because i have I have a few videos of like my design pro- process and like ultra fast forward. and it's just nice to show that kind of stuff.
0: Well, you know that's so I think when we met, we were talking about it, and the is the idea of the vendor hall um in a post internet world is it valid anymore
1: i think it's exciting um yeah like that that was kind of so i have never i had never been to an event kind of pre-internet so i don't know what that sort of excitement would have been like uh like when i hear people talk about it on podcasts and stuff or in videos um apparently it was just like the end of the world sort of nirvana but uh for me, it was like, oh, it's really cool to see if that thing in real life that I've seen online. Um, it's really cool to see this thing that's out of print that's here that I, that would be difficult to find online. But really, it's just more about the excitement than actually anything unique for me. But that's because I'm a person who does a lot of internet stuff. Like If I need to find something on the internet, I'm going to be able to find it. Um, it might cost a lot of money, but I'm going to be able to find <laughs> it. Uh, um, but it, yeah, there is a certain level of like communal excitement that I think makes it special. Like I definitely bought some stuff. I bought some dumb stuff. Uh, I bought a little clipper that clips tiny leaves out of larger leaves, uh, so I can have tiny leaves for yeah. diorama.
0: Actually, that would be <laughs> oh, that would have been awesome. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and and when I'm bored and watching TV, I just pop <laughs> you mean tiny to... leaves out of big leaves.
0: <laughs> so let's get this straight. Your big like hobby takeaway was how to make tiny trash bags out of big trash bags, and how to make tiny leaves out of big. Well, leaves. I can
1: design any mechanical thing I want. So yeah, essentially the takeaways were organic stuff that's hard to make <laughs> digitally as a somebody who does like CAD based design.
0: Yep. I <laughs> also got well, some I... sweet dice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think for me, it's like some of the, I was looking at the vendors and there's people, who, I've been to their website, I've seen their stuff, wanted to get it. But it's like, you know, if I buy this, it's just from the fact that I have a problem of buying stuff, even if I'm not going to play with it, like stick it in my storage locker and then forget about it. And it's like, there's no shipping and handling if I show up there. So it's like yeah. I show up, I don't have to pay to move pewter from the east coast that's the the big thing about the
1: smaller like the bigger the bigger companies that you're going to order a bunch of stuff from and get free shipping because you've ordered a bunch of stuff anyway i don't think that really mattered as much but those little companies where you're like i want one miniature that you have in this box over here um that is i think the thing where even in the internet age might still have some like uh objective value right as opposed to the subjective value of the excitement um but yeah like there were some places that like had like miscast pewter stuff and just it was there were some interesting things there that i had not seen um before or had not seen you know done quite like that the yeah some of this stuff was really really interesting on some of the 3d printing booths that did the on-demand 3d printing stuff they would have boxes of misprints Which was, you know, makes good sense, just like uh, the places that had that had had boxes of miscast stuff. Uh, But that's the kind of the stuff that you're never going to be able to get online, right? Like nobody's going to just have like a check this box to receive random garbage. Bot. Like,
0: well, I think we interviewed a company, Fubar Design. I think when he makes his buildings, if he can, he actually like paints them up. So he'll like prime them dry brush them and say who wants a ruined french villa for their world war ii game it's like yep a little hammer and a saw action and it's like well this isn't garbage it's a ruin
1: well so it was funny so i actually took a box of i took a box of um the prints that i used to photograph for online like i don't really like when i My process, essentially, I design an object. I test print it just to make sure I didn't screw anything up. And then I glue together the test print. I take a photograph of it. And then that photograph goes on the internet. And then that model goes in a box. And I never see it again, for the most part, unless it goes into an army that I'm working on for something else. Um, But yeah, very rarely do those actually get used. So I just took my box of prints. So if I handed you a 3D print at that event, that is one of the internet prints. That is the special, fancy, one-of-a-kind internet print. Uh, Yeah, it was just a good way to get rid of stuff, and I think that's kind of what a lot of people are doing with the uh, misprints.
0: But No, um, I think there is actually a value to seeing some of this stuff in real life. Because my favorite example is even for Games Workshop on their Fordville line, big Necromunda player, and there's a model that's a um, four-eyed alligator, like a little mutant alligator mm-hmm. that the Goliaths can take around. They have a painted version of that model online, and I saw that and said, what a horrible, ugly-looking model. I'm not buying that. I then saw someone pull it out and play it on a table, and I said, what a beautiful model. I'm going to get that
1: yeah and so I kind of noticed that with some of the just like walking around and and, and looking at different things. three um, d prints and laser cut stuff looks garbo on the internet. like in a like macro photograph of three d printed stuff or laser cut stuff, it does not look good online. Like those macro pictures are way too close. but on a tabletop, you don't notice it at all. like it just. Completely disappears into the, you know, what's going on kind of thing. And also for the amount of laser cut stuff and the amount of like obvious burnt, like burnt edge dovetail connected stuff. If I ever hear people complain about layer lines on filament printers again, I'm going to freak out. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, because like once you paint it, dry brush it you know do all your fin as as we talked about earlier do that last five that last 5% it kind of doesn't matter how it was made you're going to get a cool thing out of it and you're going to get a thing that people's eyes just slide over you got to think that when you're scrolling social media and you're looking at a thing that actually has most of your focus while you're looking at that thing. It's not part of a larger scene. It's not part of a larger event. Or uh, if we go back to my previous thing, it's not lar- part of our larger th- like theater production. Like Think of going to the theater. When somebody's in the forest in the theater, there's not a forest. You just have the trees in the foreground, and then it's just dark behind that. Um, and that sort of thing does happen on the miniature tabletop. That does not happen when you're just taking a photograph of one single object.
0: Yeah, that's that's why I like to see some of this stuff. Yeah, holding it makes a huge difference. Is I've I have to admit I keep being drawn back to old Glory Games little Wizards of Oz Wars of Oz models little mm-hmm. fifteen millimeter Munchkins I could fight fight them against Santa's toy army of elves. They had a
1: they had a game of that going and it was very, very uh, enticing. Let's put it that way.
0: You know, it's a good thing that Vendor Hall was closed because otherwise <laughs> I'd be leaving with like a duffel bag full of there metal. was
1: a uh, there was a two by two foot little um like gunfighter western city built, like really small, 28 millimeter but on on a two by two tray. And it was just one of those things you're like, can I just buy that?
0: Can you <laughs> hand that to me, please? <laughs> well, you know, that's one of the games I wanted to, if I was going there, I was going to check out. That's um, Two Fat Lardies as their um, What a Cowboy. Yeah, there were a bunch of games of that playing. Um, and
1: now I kind of feel like I should go by the rules and see if it's good.
0: Well, you got um, to make yeah. your Western-themed stuff. I mean, you could play Westworld or old west or
1: no i would play serenity immediately oh, okay. that's yeah come on <laughs> for somebody of so for somebody my age the uh the firefly u- universe is far more like integral than than actual westerns all
0: right well so let me ask you is there anything i'm missing about historical on anything you want to throw out there Um, before we wrap up oh it's crazy people should go to these things it's wild
1: um and and as somebody who like grew up in the 40k stuff and and did that forever and then got into historicals kind of because i aged into them like we talked about earlier um yeah it's it's amazing with what care like we're so used to like, this is a corner of ruins with two levels in it and I spray painted it and dry brushed it. And it's like, no, no, these, these are tables that literally look like the dioramas at your local history museum and you get to play with them. And I think that that's something that is just like, you just don't realize how much you're missing until
0: you see it. And then you're like, we could do it like this. But that's that's something i think that's the only place you get some of that uk culture of when they do their game expos of where they're more about demonstrations so like yeah. clubs will put it's together a show tables off. yeah yeah so it's more like that car like we were talking about the car shows like here's yep. my table like what's what's the best well, engine i can bring what's the best stalingrad board i can bring
1: yeah and that that was just it it it's one of those things that just gets you like it gets you excited to like do better in your own stuff. Like even if I'm just playing with like you know my 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 wife or my friends here, it's like man, I got to step it up.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. um, look through. You know, I think that's about it. Um, I I got a chance to play a, a a board game. I went to one of those talks, and one of the talks was this uh, younger guy. I think he's in college. Um. But he was designing a game to teach about, like, reconstruction politics, like the, the time period right after the the Civil War. And that was very wild. So I went to his talk, he talked about it, and then he had a spare seat in the game because I didn't have a ticket for it. And he was like, hey, if you want to come, I have a spare seat. And I was like, okay, I shall come. And so I came and played that. And, like, in a Historicon environment, I don't think it was that Great because like it required a lot of like um politicking, because right it's politics. But like if you played that game over like dinner and drinks with a bunch of friends, it would actually be a very good time and weirdly educational at the same time. I don't know. It was it was (laughs) it was wild.
0: (laughs) Well, I have to admit, I was walking through a bookstore because you know, I think let's talk about what conventions really are for is A lot of stuff that gets pushed to us through social media, like Facebook, is stuff that is curated for us, either by Mm -hmm. someone paying for our eyeballs. So I get a lot of ads for crap I do not want. Um, Because the algorithm says, well, you're the right demo, and this person's paid us to put their post in front of you, Uh where other people who haven't paid, like their stuff just isn't going to get pushed up to me. So conventions are the one spot you can go to where it's freeform. You start at one end of the vendor hall, walk back and forth and see what is the stuff that's not being curated for me that I'm just going to find in the wild. Yeah. And even in the games,
1: like you don't, if it, like there were plenty of time slots that I didn't sign up for a game. So I just meandered and just looked at other people's games and kind of listened in on how they were explaining the rules and all that stuff. And like, I don't really care about a lot of the older stuff, but man, their excitement about it like kind of gets you going on it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that that's one of those where I was going with that is I when well, I saw a book on Reconstruction and mm-hmm. it was about the um Secret Service was like the only national law enforcement. So that would be a that would be a time period you can match up to what a cowboy and you know oh, yeah. Secret Service yep. agents taking on anti-government disruptive types because mm-hmm. you know that since i live in what would be the old west there's this like <laughs> idea like well this this is the violent old west it's like well we've seen gangs of new york i mean there are other yeah. places that were plenty more violent than albuquerque new mexico at the same time period
1: oh yeah yeah like well i was talking with the guy who was writing that 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 game in particular and um he's from florida and i I'm from Florida and I currently live in Montgomery, Alabama. And so like there's a huge amount of like oh everything that's happening in this Reconstruction board game like has real physical consequences on like the street names in my city and like where things happen and all of that. And so it was it was definitely an interesting thing to play a game where you're like I know all these people's names because they are things that happened here. Yeah, and that was that was that definitely makes it a little bit different playing a historical thing that even like even if you're the most hardcore like uh, was it black library book reader like there's something different about like, oh, no, I know exactly where that thing is that's in this bit of fluff because it's down the street from my house. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but yeah that's like see that's the thing with historical wargaming you can actually go see the artifact that they're referencing yeah so, so, well we can go there i'm not going to the space holes home planet nah, yeah. not anything, but i can i can go to gettysburg i've been there several times so yep. uh, but you know speaking about that let's let's talk about how should we describe this um you had a special set you were going to put out last time we talked. Let's talk about the Tiananmen Square playset. set. Oh, man. so Let's, I let's do, open, open the bid with that one. All right, let's, let's do it.
1: Um, so I do all 20th century stuff. Essentially, I do, like, 1860s-ish, like, right when things started to get, like, very industrially produced, because that's just the kind of design that I do, up to current stuff. And I kind of avoid current stuff just because it gives me the feel-bads, um, but... Uh, so, one of the things I really wanted to do was make a Tiananmen Square playset because and now bear with us don't don't stop listening um, because it's something that we all know what it looks like in our heads i can just say those words and you can picture that picture in your head of the photograph taken from the balcony of the hotel of the street of the guy in front of the tank there's a burnt out bus on one side and there's just this giant line of tanks going off into the distance uh, trees on the left uh it's about eight lane wide street uh we we can all see it in our heads uh clear day and so I was like, well, we do these things that are like these very seminal moments in military history, right? Like when when you play a historical war game, the things you do are the, the points of inflection, right? Like you don't play uh, transporting these goods across the Atlantic unless you play when the U-boats attack, right? Because that's a point of inflection. Uh, that's a point of divergence the actual just you know ship goes forward is not the point of interest. Um, so I wanted to take that and kind of make it something that's essentially an unplayable game, right? Like this one guy standing in front of these tanks does not have a chance. There's no game to it, right? Like you roll 3d20s, and if you roll 20 on all three of them, you get to live. That's the game. Um, and Simple. so, yeah that's it. that's it other than that you die in a jail somewhere um, uh, but it's really interesting in some of the conversation that it started in that people got really mad when I posted it to social media they were like it is really offensive to call this a play set because I very specifically called it the Tiananmen Square playset. set um, they're like that's really offensive people died like hundreds of people died da 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 and i messaged back and i said hey like that's the point we play war games all of the time and don't think twice like think of those words we play war games play set is not a different thing right like it is it is it is saying that we are we are removing it from reality and turning it into an object of either participation or play or game, like those words are somewhat synonymous, and um, so it really got people's. It really got people going. But I think that upon saying that, hey, yeah, that was intended. Like I wanted people to think about the fact that we do this thing that is not cool, right? Like it's not fun, it's not nice, it's not friendly. Uh, but we do it as a fun, friendly, nice activity with our friends that we have fun with. Um, and there's just kind of a a friction there that shouldn't go unaddressed. And so it was it was really, really interesting doing it. You can get that you can get that whole set right now on Thingiverse for free if you want it, uh, just to just go download it. Uh, I actually worked with a guy um, oh God, please don't let me go name blank um, with uh, oh no, no, no. Where is my with uh Duncan Shadow. Um he's a he has a Patreon as well. He generally does like D&D stuff, but uh I reached out and and he was interested in doing the figure for that. So he did an absolutely gorgeous figure for it. And then I did the the industrial components. So I did the tank and the bus and the the other pieces. But yeah, it was it was really interesting to kind of see people's reaction to it um because it kind of flies in the face of the thing that we all take for granted it was nice it it was good to have the conversation and everybody actually was very respectful of it it did not turn
0: into an internet shouting match but you know it's one of the game designers i've had on before created a game obsidian empire about pre-contact mesoamericans and one of the aspects of the game is capturing your opponent's models so you could sacrifice them, you know, mm-hmm. lay them on a slab, cut their heart out so that the sun will keep going around. Yep. How How is that different? Yep. I, I, and I think it's really, it might be a thing that we just all
1: know about more than like older stuff. It's also all the pictures are in color. And I know that that's a dumb thing to say, but it matters. Right, Like the the pictures of Tiananmen Square are in color, which makes them feel far more recent than anything that was, um, you know, that's photographed in black and white. And I think that just the fact that a lot of people remember it um, really riles some people. And also, I think that the uh, quote unquote unfairness of it, right? Like we, we play war games and we put 1500 points down on each side of the table, right? Like, we don't put 100 points down and 2,000 points down. Uh, And I think that that tweaks more than even some of the historical context.
0: Well, you know, it's funny you bring up the points because I know, I like to listen to, like, uh, Yorkshire Wargaming. And one of the questions (laughs) he asks is um, realistic order of battle or points. So but the reason people do realistic order of battle is to create a simulation, but just to see if they can get a different result. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what your game does? The probabilities are low that <laughs> that guy's going to beat that tank, yeah. but you know, like dumb and dumber. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah, exactly. Uh
1: yeah, that was. I think it's just like you you put something on the table that's so impossible. And even though I'm I'm never gonna put it on the table, I'm never gonna physically roll dice with, with it. Nobody ever is. It's still an important thing to put out there and have people just like take a few brain cycles on. Um, and that probably comes from me being a a, a fine arts person. What I call art with a capital A, the 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 non craft end of it. Um. But, yeah, it's important to build stuff that just makes people think about stuff sometimes, uh, even if it's unplayable or not or not useful or not even something that most people would want a model of in their house. Right. Like most people would look at that printed. Even if you wanted to print it out, you'd probably look at it a few times and be like, you know what? I don't want to look at this every day. It makes me feel
0: bad. Uh, that's. Well, it hasn't been taken down, but it's probably not available for download within the. Uh borders of the people's republic of china so
1: i would imagine not but uh yeah it is still up on thingiverse you can still go get it on thingiverse um in all of its glory and yeah yeah just absolutely beautiful miniature yeah like did a great job on that one Uh, like even to the point where like the guy's sleeve is pushed up like just right like just matches the picture like from the right angle the shot is impeccable and it just makes me so happy to be able to, like, work with somebody else and, you know, get something done to that quality. And that and that comes back to the, what we were just talking about, about all, like, the quality of theater and
0: things like that. Oh, that's uh, – But I don't know. So let's take, for example, like, Star Wars mm-hmm. or any of those universes which normally have – the way you described it to me was, like, bounded. So you know certain things are going to happen within a Star Wars board game or anything. With your game, the result's pretty much predetermined. But couldn't you say that with like um, some of the Star Wars scenarios, like you know trying well, to get the and, battle plans of the Death Stars? Like you might get them, but you're not. And I, I don't life.
1: think it's I don't think it's whether it's predetermined or not. I think it's that. Um, There's like an acceptable level of content, whether that be, you know, violence or think of all the things that like the ESRB or the MPAA rate. Right. Like they 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 give ratings to things based on content. Now that content can you know, have a bunch of different categories. But when you play something like uh, like Star Wars, there is certain content things you're just not going to see. Right. In a Star Wars tabletop game, you're not going to have nudity, for example. Right. You're just not going to see it. It's not going to be part of it. You're also not going to have blood. Like think of Star Wars movies. There's no blood when somebody gets shot with a bolter or with a with a blaster or somebody gets hit with a lightsaber. There's no blood. And the reason they did that is to keep the rating down. Um, so that that's an interesting thing that that kind of puts these weird edges on what sort of content you're going to see in that universe. And that almost makes those universes more acceptable to play. I think that when people get a little upset about historical stuff one yes it's real but two it's also unbounded right like the the stuff you can get into at the edges gets weird you can get into the weeds really fast like we don't dislike what happened at Tiananmen Square because one guy died to a tank many people have died to tanks in history like we don't stop playing war games with tanks because Tiananmen Square happened The reason that that makes people so uncomfortable is because of a, the hopelessness and B I think it's that you don't know what happened to that guy. He didn't just get shot with a tank and die. He disappeared somewhere and that doesn't have the same boundary edges that say star Wars does. Right. Like, like like in the star Wars, we can assume that nobody's going to be really like horrifically tortured. Right. Like there is some, there is some that shows up here and there, um, i actually sitting on. here on my desk. You didn't ask me any
0: questions. That's the famous Han Solo line. Yeah, you didn't even yeah. ask me any questions. <laughs>
1: yeah. I actually have the Han Solo torture thing somewhere as a toy in my house because <laughs> I find it so horrifically offensive.
0: Ah, oh, yes.
1: Here, I'm going to show it to the camera, which is really oh, you're useful. You're right. It's
0: an actual toy. <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: yeah. It's an actual toy, yeah, which is really useful for a, for a podcast. I'm sorry, everybody. But you can get the Han Solo with torture rack. As a toy, and I have no idea how they thought it was a good idea.
0: You know what? There's a certain point of where ages you're trying four to four plus, ages four plus listed right <laughs> here on the container. You know what? If anyone ever takes you to court, I would just pull that out, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. Your Honor. <laughs> this is if way Disney more signed off on this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, and and I think that that's, I don't know, like we we excuse some things and like like. 40k universe is wildly horrific or you get into like judge dread stuff and it's really weird but there's something about either the reality of it or the fact that it is truly unbounded right like there is no boundary edge and i i, I think that those things have equal import in people's minds and i think that's something that we all kind of You know need to decide for ourselves right like i'm not saying that any of this is inappropriate or any of this you shouldn't do you should totally game whatever you want to game because it allows you to explore concepts that are you know not explorable in real life that's why we game um and it's just like it's just something you got to think about the only thing that i ask is that um if you want to game historical stuff or if you want to game something that you think is outside the boundaries of what somebody else is expecting, please ask them. Please ask them if you if you're going to take like if you're going to take a German army in bolt action, you don't have to ask them, right? They expect that you're there's going to be some bad guys. But if you take let's say like Hitler youth in a bolt action game, maybe ask the other people first, right? Like that's one or two ratchets up from just bad guy Nazis on the feeling <laughs> scale.
0: You know, it's funny you bring that up. It's uh, one of the. Uh, so the store manager, Brian, he does the podcast. With me. He's the regular mm-hmm. guest host. He got an army dropped off. So a lot of people bring him like their scraps, so, like I'm getting out of war gaming. Here's my army. Yep. And so a lot of it was historical. So he dropped it off and said, hey, can you help me with this? I don't know what this stuff is. So it's like okay, well I'll go through the World War II stuff first. It's like oh my god, this is a Hitler Youth Squad. Oh no! <laughs> I was like, you know what? I love the model of the girl with the ponytails, with the yep. Stahlhelm and a Panzerfaust. What a! <laughs> I was like, why are these Germans so short?
1: Well, and that and that sort of thing, as I and as I said before, like that sort of thing is totally okay if everybody in your group, if the people you're going to play against are cool with it. Go for it. Like it is something that ha- that 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 happened, but it is something you should probably ask about.
0: Um and yeah, like go for it. Just ask. All right. So since we've gotten deep on that one, talking about yes. youth and Tiananmen Square, yeah. got that off the bucket list there, <laughs> clearing a lot of things up today. Um before we wrap up, what do you got coming out? in the future? What are you excited about that people should sponsor you on Patreon, look you stuff up, downloads, start printing? Yeah, come, come give me money
1: on Patreon.
0: That would be super cool.
1: Um, so the way that I do it is actually people on Patreon and on Discord through the Patreon. Uh, you can actually just join the Discord, but you don't get voting rights. Um, uh, so if you just want to see what's going on, you can do that. You can join the Patreon, then you get voting rights for stuff. Um, but what I do is people suggest stuff and then I put up little polls and people vote on it and then I make it. So I actually don't know what's coming up. Um, I know now, like the next you two had project.
0: Don't you had a special, do you want to talk about your special project?
1: That
0: could be I a have changing. a special
1: project that might be coming out in the next six months or so. It's a longer term okay. project and I'm going to try to do it with, um, uh, Bob Mack, a company that does a little bit more high-end historical stuff. My stuff is 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 definitely tabletop models uh, for gaming, like robust, tough stuff. Um, Bob Mack does stuff that's like very, very, very high detail, ridiculously high detail. It's gorgeous. Um, but so, yeah, so I was talking with them a little bit, and we might get together on a project to do... Um, a few things, but, but one of the ones that I suggested was a, um, a contemporary wall set because I know that people like the 40k boarding action walls, but there's not any of those for you know just normal buildings that you want to do normal you know 20th century stuff in. And since a lot of war fighting has happened in the 20th century, that seems like an oversight. Uh, so hopefully we'll have something fancy coming out sometime soon with that. But, yeah, for general Patreon stuff, uh, it is totally just what people are into. It's kind of just we roll with the zeitgeist. So if you if something comes out on TV, everybody's going to want it. So we just do a model of that. If every if something comes out in a new rule book, we do that because everybody's going to want it. Like the um, was it the new Bolt Action book had this. Was it the Borg Ward? Borg Ward? some German thing that just drops an explosive. So moment I heard about that, I was like, we got to have a model for that. So there's a model of that up. You can get that on the Patreon right now. And then after two months, everything becomes free uh, because that's my goal is to build a public repository of stuff to help try to shift that graying of the hobby a little bit lower, make it a little bit easier to get into historicals.
0: (laughs) Uh, I know you're anti gatekeeping uh yes yeah person, very yeah. anti-gatekeeping
1: uh yeah just do what makes you have do what makes you ha- happy and hopefully do it as pretty on a table as possible
0: <laughs> well you know uh, if we don't have gatekeepers then just anyone can come in i know And weird, where would right? we be yeah
1: just anybody who wants to have a good time rolling dice That's crazy <laughs> talk <laughs>
0: all right let's let's wrap up on a positive note
1: yes positive note good
0: so thank you for joining us today at uh miniature wargaming labs make sure to go check out Wyndham graves that's w-i-n-d-h-a-m-g-r-a-v-e-s uh check out his patreon discord and go into thingiverse but once again keep on playing and we'll see you next time